Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Thank you so much, wherever you are taking in the show, however you're listening, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, however you're taking in not just this show, but hopefully the starting five, three and D, core four, any part of the GBB podcast network. Uh, thank you so much for doing so. It is appreciated. I am your host, Joe Molinax. I'm fortunate enough to be the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. That, of course, is the Memphis Grizzlies team site for the Memphis Grizzlies. You can follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow this show, GBB Live on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax, and you can follow my co-host who is not able to join us on this episode of the show, but of course he will be back, Mr. Parker Fleming, the associate editor of GBB at Paca underscore Flocka. I am very excited about our guest this week, only one guest. I wanted to have a little extra time to talk with him because I really think he's done an excellent job uh, covering these bubble grizzlies, and I didn't want to rush the conversation. I wanted it to be a little bit more free-flowing with him. Um, and, and we have a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right in. He is uh, he he writes about Memphis football, but he's the interim Grizzlies reporter at the Commercial Appeal. Hopefully, that sticks long term. Um, he has done a phenomenal job, like I said, really giving good perspective, not just to the basketball play on the court for Memphis in the Orlando bubble, but also talking about the racial justice movement that carries on in Memphis and Coach Jenkins. Uh, have been active in throughout their time in Orlando. He does a lot of great work breaking down all the different seating situations. I've really been impressed with the work of Mr. Evan Barnes at Evan underscore B on Twitter. And he joins us here on this episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Evan, how are you doing? I'm good, Joe. I think like everybody else, I think we're all kind of just, you know, ready for Thursday, but also swirling our heads, kind of trying to figure out, you know, all these playoff scenarios. So, uh, it's good to chat and just kind of chop it up a little bit about this uh, this bubble experience. Well, let's start with that bubble experience, and let's start with a tweet I saw from uh, Chris Harrington, who is of the Daily Memphian now. He once upon a time was at the Commercial Appeal, and Harrington is um, asking a question that I wanted to get your perspective on, and I'll give my answer too. I won't just throw you to the wolves on this. Um, obviously the bubble, and it's always funny when I hear people ask coach Jenkins in media availabilities or start their question with, obviously this hasn't gone according to plan. Well, pardon my language. No shit. It hasn't gone according to plan. Um, but anyway, uh, injuries, losses, lots of different reasons. Memphis is one in six staring down the barrel of completely losing. They've already lost the eight seed. Uh, they can get it back, but they need help. They can still get into the play-in with a win against Milwaukee on Thursday. But if they lose, there's a decent shot that they're going home early. Uh, Chris Harrington asked, is it okay from a Memphis perspective to not want the Grizzlies to make the playoffs? The play-in series, sure. But I think I'd rather see the Jaw and Jaron Grizzlies make their playoff debut with, you know, Jaw and Jaron with actual home games and not in a surefire sweep. Plus, he uh, he's interested in Damian Lillard versus the Lakers now. Um it depends on what view and perspective I think you're taking of the situation in the large scale NBA view. Anybody outside of Memphis would probably be crazy to want to see the Grizzlies in the eight seed taking on the Lakers instead of Damian Lillard and the Portland trailblazers. Some people might even say the Phoenix suns, but I'm not, I'm not going to subscribe to that. I think 
the Damian Lillard storyline, Portland being that Western Conference Finals team last year, I could at least understand that logic of them perhaps trying to upset the mighty Lakers. Uh, in the Memphis view, I'm interested in what the, the answer to this question is because I just recently posted a feature on the blog called The Enduring Vision of John Morant. And one of the premises behind the piece was that all that's happening now, good or bad, is going to pay off down the road. Uh, Chris Vernon of Grind City Media talks about scar tissue and how developing that scar tissue over time obviously helps build up experience and character, all those things that a young team needs. I think they're going to be better for this experience in the long run. I think that every game that they play, even without Jaron, is beneficial to Jaw. It helps the team and those around him figuring out who is going to be here long term. And I do think that playing against these great coaches, playing in these high pressure situations holds value. That doesn't mean that I think, especially if Portland is the eighth seed and Memphis is the nine, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to beat Portland twice. I think that they'll probably be done. Maybe they sneak one from the Trailblazers, but Portland will likely win at least one and they'll be the eighth seed if things hold the way they are now. But I do think that there's value for Memphis and the Grizzlies to want to still pursue that eight seed as hard as they can. Do you agree with that statement? All right. So I think there's, I, I see where Chris is coming from, but I think absolutely, you know, it would be great to see this team make its playoff debut with the full core of this generation, right? Ja and Jaron both in there. I totally, uh, I see that. And I also think that, you know, that there is a benefit to being in this situation with the Grizzlies because losing all these games, and I've kind of been harping on this in my stories, is like they're learning by fire what it takes to be a playoff team. They're learning by losing these games. They're learning by seeing veteran teams close out games. They're learning by seeing how possessions can't be wasted. I do agree with that too that uh, Vernon said because like it or not, this is really going to help the Grizzlies next season, two years down the road, and it's going to help Ja, Jaron, Brandon Clark, and all the young guys get in that playoff mode where they understand that, hey, you have to be, you know, it's not just about talent and what you got, but it's also about adjusting and being smarter from your mistakes. So I agree with all that. Um, that said, I mean, I still think it would be great to see them in the playoffs just because it would be fun to kind of just see this team, you know, at least just get to that point. Now, whether or not, they get slaughtered by the Lakers. I mean, I think we all know that's probably going to happen if they get to the eight seed or if they, if, they, if they do. But again, there's so much that's to break, right? But just the fact they're even in this position, um, I think about when I started in January. Um, the, day, the first game I think I shadowed uh, David Cobb or maybe the second game was that Spurs game where they won and got into the eight seed. At that point, nobody suspected this team would get in this position. So the fact that here we are seven months later and we're talking about the Grizzlies need to win one more game to even, you know, get into the playing tournament. I think it's, you know, you would root for them to try to hurry up and do just to get in there because they can only build from this later on. So I would say the more games they play, the more they'll learn. And by next season, this team will have a better sense of what it takes to be in this position. And hopefully they'll be healthier, too. The bubble has gone absolutely terribly for the Memphis Grizzlies, but I do think that there is going to be long-term benefit to it in terms of those lessons being learned that you just alluded to, but also in terms of developing an understanding of what it takes to win. And, and you said that earlier as well. You're seeing what Damian Lillard is willing to do to win. You're seeing what these veteran teams, the Utah Jazz, the Boston Celtics, 
all these different squads, you're seeing what they are willing to do and what it takes to be that high caliber team. And as John Morant has pointed out very fairly, in my opinion, most folks had the Grizzlies being more likely if you could have envisioned this scenario, which of course nobody could have. Uh, But if you take the current setup, the delete eight teams that didn't come to Orlando, the Grizzlies before the season began would have been much more likely to be among those eight than they would be to be among the 22 that are still playing. So I do think that that has to be kept in perspective too, because they are not necessarily ahead of schedule. They've been in a position to take advantage of the Golden State Warriors being down because of injury, uh, the issues with teams like the New Orleans Pelicans, who are physically better than the Memphis Grizzlies, but they haven't been able to take that and translate it to wins. Sacramento had success against the Grizzlies, and obviously they haven't had success elsewhere against other teams in the bubble. So Memphis has had the opportunity to get this experience now, whereas there's no guarantee, Evan, that they'll get this experience next year because Golden State's going to be healthy. You're going to have improvement from New Orleans and Sacramento, all these teams, Phoenix, all these teams that are here now are going to still be here next year. Uh, There's no guarantee that Memphis is in this spot in 2021, and that's okay, especially if that pick conveys to Boston this year. A 2021 lottery pick is a heck of a lot more valuable, theoretically. I know projecting drafts a year out, especially right now, uh, is perhaps a fool errand, but I think most draft scouts and experts that I've read at least agree that the 2021 class is deeper than the 2020 class. So the Grizzlies having a lottery pick in 2021 – whenever the hell that draft happens, is more valuable than a 2020 draft pick in the lottery, even if it's top four, perhaps. Uh, I think that that is something that needs to be kept in mind, too. They may not have the chance to compete for the playoffs next year, so they have to, even without Jaron, without Justice, uh, Tyus Jones, hopefully he comes back, but it seems like that's a 50-50 proposition at best. They need to take advantage of this opportunity now because there's no guarantee it comes back next year. I agree. And I always go with this argument for sports is that for everyone saying that young teams will always have time. You know, I learned as a young NBA fan, that's not true because the Orlando Magic should have been next. They should have been the next best team at the Eastern Conference in the 90s. But after they made the finals in 95, they lost to the Bulls in 96, Shaq went to L.A., and the Magic were never the same with that era. Um, You look at the OKC Thunder. They made the finals with Durant, Harden, and Westbrook. And they were gone basically after that year because Harden was traded. So or Harden signed that deal with uh, Houston. So time is always a weird thing with the NBA. It's like the future is bright, but right now is right now. So I would say that if you're the Grizzlies, take full advantage. Go in on Thursday trying to win this game and get into that play-in tournament. And even if they lose to Portland, assuming Portland gets that eight, even if they lose to Portland, you get the chance to see, all right, this is what a playoff team looks like. This is what it looks like when you have a team that made the conference finals last year and got better by adding Yusuf Nurkic and seeing Carmelo Anthony remind us why he's, you know, one of the best scorers of his generation and if not all time. Um, you see that. And I think learning by experience is always going to help them get better. And, and again, like you said, they may not make the playoffs next year and it's fair to, you know, be okay with that because – Teams are going to get better. The Warriors are going to be back at full strength. So I think it's all building for something that's going to happen by net, by maybe year two or year three. But at the same time, you also want to make sure you maximize everything from year one because 
why not enjoy and appreciate this experience while you can, you know? Absolutely. And I do think it's important to point out when I say that they may not make the playoffs next year, that doesn't even necessarily mean that they would be a worse team. I, the Western Conference is going to be loaded. And everybody, even Minnesota, who made the trade for D'Angelo Russell, it's not like the Timberwolves are just going to lay down and say, okay, I guess we're bad. You can make an argument that every single team in the Western Conference is going to believe entering next season, which most of us assume will start around Christmas time, that they all think that they're going to have a chance, maybe in a, especially in a abbreviated season or an unabbreviated season. They, they think they're, they're going to have a shot at, at making the playoffs. And that's not going to mean that Memphis is going to take a step back if they don't make the playoffs. They could have a better record and still not get in. And I right. think that that is, you really have to keep that perspective. And there also could be a scenario, Evan, where they have a worse record and they're still a better team because the quality of competition has gotten better. If Memphis goes 31 and 51, I guess it would be rough math off the top of my head. If it, assuming it's an 82 game season, if it's a shorter season than that, do the percentages, whatever the wins would be of that type of a record. Technically, that is worse than they are right now. But if they're competitive, if their point differential is better, if they're in a place where they're not getting blown out in the way that they have in the past, if you see another drastic jump from Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, and they simply don't have the horses beyond that, we learned that what Dylan Brooks has been in the Orlando bubble is truly him. That would be a problem. Justice Winslow never fully gets healthy. I'm optimistic that he will because none of the injuries are intertwined, but I think it's a fair concern to have at this point. There's a lot of things that have to line up for the Grizzlies to be in the same spot right now that uh, next year that they are currently, and there's no promise that things are going to improve to the level that they're going to need to to be able to jump in front of a Portland or a San Antonio, all these other squads that are going to continue to improve, especially a Phoenix. I think Phoenix is the one that jumps out the most in terms of this bubble experience. Devin Booker and Aiton aren't going anywhere, and I only see them getting better once they have Kelly Oubre back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the West is – if the bubble has shown anything, it's that the West is going to be – stronger again next year if not stronger and it's been fun kind of seeing you know the suns make this push only because while it's been threatening the grizzlies um it it does remind that this team was 13th dead last i believe when this the seeding game started and you see devin booker to score we know he can score deandre ayton is going to get better um i still i'm still really high on him um we know the spurs are still going to be tough i mean you know they didn't have Lamarcus Aldridge, and yet they're still in this mix. He's going to be back next year. So I think it, it goes back to what you said. Like the next year, the Grizzlies can improve and still be behind a lot better teams, but that's okay because again, you're building for something that's going to probably happen in year three or even maybe beyond. Like I was looking up something the other day when we interviewed we interviewed Marcus Saul um, before the game. I believe his first two teams didn't make the playoffs, and then that third year in 2010. 2010, 2011 is when they got into the playoffs. So you're looking at, okay, let's build, build, you get in, and then this thing gets rolling. I mean, I would say that there's more optimism for saying, all right, take what you can, build, learn. And also, don't forget, Taylor Jenkins is still in his first year. He's going to grow as a coach. So there's a lot of room for improvement, even if this team doesn't get better, doesn't have more wins next year. But you see how this team already right now 
miles ahead from last year. They have hope and momentum for next season. I would just say that whatever happens Thursday, this season will be seen as a stepping stone for what could come a year, two years down the road. And I keep bringing it up because I feel like no matter what happens, you have hope. And hope right now is a lot better than what they had when I moved to Memphis two years ago. Oh, yeah, it was hopeless two years ago. There was nothing. <laughs> right. There was no direction. You literally had a end-of-year press conference where, where the general manager at the time, ironically, uh, for the last time, Chris Wallace uh, came out and said, we don't know what the direction is. We have no idea. Well, uh, maybe he knew the writing was on the wall, but goodness gracious, like that that was about as dark and down and dreary as, as it possibly could have been. And now you're looking at a team that's gone from no future to one of the best futures in the entire NBA. That's extremely uh, impressive. And I do think that leads me in. You, you mentioned Coach Jenkins. Uh, I'm surprised when I see people just crushing him, whether it's rotations, uh, whether it's the challenges. You know, there's a lot of things that I think he, he's not free from criticism. But at the same time, and I wrote about this in my feature, uh, Taylor Jenkins turns 36 next month. Uh, he coached against uh, some of the very best coaches in the entire NBA, Greg Popovich, Billy Donovan, Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens. You know, even Alvin Gentry, who is on the hot seat right now in New Orleans. There's some New Orleans folks calling for his head after the Pelicans uh, missed the playoffs here in the bubble. Um, He got his first head coaching job with the L.A. Clippers in the year 2000. In the year 2000, Taylor Jenkins was 16 years old in high school. So I think that we need to keep the perspective of his youth compared to other NBA head coaches. We need to keep in mind that he is a rookie in his own way, you know, just like Ja and Brandon Clark are rookies in the NBA. So is Taylor Jenkins as a rookie NBA head coach. And he is going to continue to learn and grow, especially considering his background and the way that he's gotten to where he is. It is much more likely that he will learn from the mistakes that he's made and his team has made than he won't. Yeah, I, I've I've thought this like as much as I, I'll I'll agree with you to a point, and I'll just say this: Taylor Jenkins is learning a lot, kind of on the fly. Well, yes, he's had great mentors, and yes, he's been around the NBA for a while, but he's also learning on the fly too. Like I've seen from my experience in these bubble games, I've seen where there have been times where he's. He's been out coached, but that's that's understandable for a rookie head coach. The same way that a young Grizzlies team on the court is getting outplayed by teams that are smarter, capitalizing on mistakes, kind of like what we saw with the Celtics yesterday, where the Grizzlies. I, I think there was there were a couple there are a couple of swings out there where the Grizzlies will miss a shot, the Celtics will come down and get a much better shot, and they'd make it. That's been the story of the bubble too. So I think Jenkins is fair game, only in the sense of he's learning on the fly. There are things he has to figure out. Obviously, everyone's talking about the challenge. But to me, I think it's a question of, you know, with the, with the Dylan Brooks situation. As a, as a head coach, you almost have to save your player from himself so that, you know, if he's drowning, you say, hey, let's get you out of here and let's regroup or let's figure out how to better use him because, like it or not, Dylan Brooks, bad or good, is, is going to be crucial for where this team is right now. But I think Taylor Jenkins has also done a, a fantastic job this year. and. I was surprised that he wasn't, you know, a finalist for coach of the year as far as getting enough top three votes, to be perfectly honest. I I thought he should have. But I think he's done a great job. I think he's still learning. But I also think that there is room to say, hey, he's got to learn how to adjust as well. If we're talking about how John needs to maybe work on his jumper and if Darren needs to find ways to 
impact the game. And Dylan Brooks used to have more better shot selection. Then we could definitely look at Taylor Jenkins. But you're right. Taylor Jenkins is learning by fire, too, what it takes to be a top coach, you know, or at least, you know, a playoff coach in the NBA. The Dylan Brooks piece of it is very, very fair to criticize him for. Uh, Part of being a coach, like you said, is to save players from themselves. You know, accountability is a big part of it. And I do think that Coach Jenkins has to hold his players accountable. I think Coach does a good job, at least in his press availabilities, of holding himself accountable and talking about things he could have done better um, and, and ways to get the team to better understand what he's trying to communicate in terms of defensive rotations, uh, film sessions, that sort of stuff. But you also have to be willing to rock the boat a little bit and not allow one player, in the case of Dylan Brooks, who isn't far from the only issue with this roster, uh, mm-hmm. but there's definitely been stretches of time. And, and I think the Toronto Raptors game might be the best example. There's definitely been stretches of time where you watch, and Dylan's not the only problem, but he's the brightest one. He's the one that pops off the screen the most in, in terms of his shot selection, in terms of forcing things when they're not there, uh, defensive liability at times, especially off-ball in terms of health de- help defense or coming off of shooters too much. You know, again, it's not just Dylan. I don't want it to sound like I'm saying he's the only issue because there's other players. Anthony Tolliver. Uh, the fact that Anthony Tolliver is a starter on this team is a nightmare, depending on how you perceive it, because this is a guy who's a veteran minimum signing who has floated from team to team. He obviously has value because teams still sign him to these contracts. But if he's starting for you, that says something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And for Memphis, it has. Jaron Jackson Jr., their best two-way player right now, is out. And you're trying to find spacing wherever you can find it. I haven't looked up the exact stats, but I would imagine the Grizzlies are probably, if not the worst, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the Orlando bubble. And they need to have spacing in some way. You like Grayson Allen coming off the bench. I think it's been shown that Brandon Clark coming off the bench is the best use of him right now. So instead, uh, excuse me, unless you want to slide Kyle Anderson to the four and you put DeAnthony Melton, who has also struggled in the Orlando bubble at times, at the two, Tolliver might be your best option. And it's not like you're choosing something that's going to fix everything. There's a correct choice. It's varying shades of wrong. And that's something to keep in mind, too, when it comes to judging what Taylor Jenkins has done in Orlando. I think that he should be criticized for the Dylan Brooks issues and things of that nature, but it's also hard to be a successful head coach when you have three key rotation players and people like to forget about Justice Winslow like he wasn't going to be a factor. They had planned for him being a factor. So even though he hasn't played a minute for the Grizzlies yet, they still had to replace him. To be without Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, and Jaron Jackson Jr., that's asking a lot of any coach, much much less a rookie. Right, right. And just so you, since you brought it up, because I've been looking at this almost every game, they are the second worst shooting three-point team in the bubble. Who's worse? The Wizards. The Wizards. Actually, they're better than – the Grizzlies are worse than the Wizards. Here's a surprise for you, and this has kind of been a surprise to the bubble. The Lakers are the worst shooting team. Oh, yeah. I I did read something that they were pretty struggling. Their offense has been awful inside the bubble. For a team that's, you know, obviously number one in the West, they've had some offensive issues like crazy down there. Um, But I just wanted to bring that up. But, yeah, like I think you're right. Like, And I think this speaks to more to what Jenkins is – how you can praise Jenkins. No Justice Winslow, no Tyus Jones, no Jaron Jackson, and yet your team is still a game away from still playing in the playing tournament 
I think that speaks to what the Grizzlies did before the bubble, obviously, to put them in good position. But also, it's like, hey, they're still in position. So I, I think there's a lot to to learn from this season. But I also feel like, you know, you can take stock of that, that no matter what happens, if the Grizzlies lose Thursday and they're not in the playing tournament, you can still say this season was an unquestioned success because when you have hope, two, you have John Morant, three, you have a core that you can kind of build around and at least keep in contention for next year in the playoffs. And this system that they're playing right now, it's a fun system to watch. It's, it's exciting basketball. It's fun basketball. And let's face it, um, when Marcus All was telling us, you know, before Sunday's game that he's a big fan of this team. He likes what they're doing. He thinks they're, you know, they're doing everything right, representing the city. I think he speaks not just as a, a former player, but as a Memphian. He understands what this team means. So I think there's a lot of respect around the NBA for what this team could be. So whatever happens Thursday, I think, you know, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad that we can look at. But overall, it was a better year than anyone expected. That's a great segue into a break. When we come back, we will be back with Evan Barnes. We'll be finishing up with him at Evan underscore B on Twitter. He uh, is a Grizzlies reporter for the Commercial Appeal. We'll talk about the GBB Live question of the day, which directly connects to what Evan was just talking about. And we'll also uh, briefly preview uh, the the Grizzlies-Milwaukee game and what the uh, the outcome of that might mean for the Grizzlies moving forward in the bubble. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. We are back. We're chatting with Evan Barnes, a Grizzlies reporter over at the Commercial Appeal in Memphis at Evan underscore B on Twitter. And I want to get your take on the question of the day. And you alluded to it in the previous segment, talking about the season being a success, especially after the pain of that Boston Celtics loss. I wanted to kind of see how the fan base was feeling regarding that very idea, this season being a success no matter what happens in Orlando. So the question of the day for this week's show was as follows. Given all that has transpired in the Orlando bubble, has your perception of this season as a complete success for the Memphis Grizzlies changed? The four options were yes for the better, yes for the worse, no, it's still a success, no, it's still a failure. Uh, The results were pretty overwhelming, and I'm going to be honest, I'm pleasantly surprised, Evan. About 75%, 74.9% of folks said, no, it's still a success. I have given credit, you know, I've had the opportunity to do radio spots, podcasts, lots of different things in in my time uh, being the site manager at GBB. And whenever I do a national kind of thing, I try to give a shout out to the Grizzlies fan base being one of the more intelligent ones in the NBA. Like the Lakers, for example, maybe I haven't seen the right sections of Lakers fan bases and like the SB Nation blog for the Lakers is great and that sort of stuff. Um, But I see some stuff from Lakers fans about like how they're going to get John Morant in a trade and things. Do you really believe this? Like, is this something that you truly see happening? You think you're going to offer Danny Green and KCP for Devin Booker and the Suns are going to say yes? I'm, I'm trying to figure all this out. Memphis, you know, we have conversations and GBB is often uh, one of the leaders in those trade talks, but I feel like things are, you know, at least rooted in some form of logic. Uh, I think Memphis has a very intelligent fan base for, and it's also, it's a small sample size, 175 folks voted. Uh, but for 75% of that sample size to say that this season is success, no matter what happens and what has happened to the Grizzlies in Orlando, to me, that's a testament to the intelligence of a fan base who, like you said in the previous segment, 
they understand that this is a process. It's not about the 2019-2020 Memphis Grizzlies. It's about the 2022-2023 Memphis Grizzlies and the build to the next time the Grizzlies have a realistic chance to be a championship contender. That is an ongoing process that has only just begun, and that cannot be negated or taken away by a collapse in the most unique restart of a season in arguably the history of professional sports. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So to that question, I mean, yes, it's, it's a success. Um, I, I would ask you this question, like to, to, to throw it back to you just before I respond deeper. Like if the Grizzlies, if, if people thought the Grizzlies weren't a success, you know, this season was a success. What, what logic do you think people would argue for that? Right, like 1.7% of people out of 175 said that, no, it's still a failure. Like, they felt it was a failure from the beginning. Now, I don't know, again, there, there might have been a bot or something like that, but uh, <laughs> to, to say that this season was a failure, to me, you are looking in a very strict micro sense of what their win and loss record was and what your expectations for them were, were so out of sync with what anything else rationally possible could have been. I mean, this team was supposed to be bad, like really bad. Again, like I said in the previous segment, delete eight bad, not even in Orlando mix bad. Yet here they are, given the work that they did leading up to the restart, as you put it, the, the fact that they can win and still make the play-in, that's impressive. As crazy as that sounds, they've gone one and six. They've looked bad in a lot of the basketball they've played. If they fall out of the play-in, I think that it's natural to look at the, the 76ers resting everybody against Phoenix and being frustrated. The Damian Lillard three that bounced off the back of the rim went straight <laughs> up in the air and fell through the basket. I think it's okay to be frustrated and say, what the hell? Like, why can't we get those bounces? But at the same time, they haven't played well enough to justify blaming outside factors for their demise. If they had knocked off Portland right. in that first overtime game, this isn't even a conversation. They're already in the play-in, and they're just getting ready. Like, maybe they can rest John Morant, as nice as that would have been. Um, even if they had lost all the other games with Tyus out, at, at least they could have had a chance to say, okay, we're in the play-in. Let's make sure Jaw's ready for that. Uh, I, I think that... Right. To say this season was a failure is to completely ignore context. And that's a, uh, that's a fool's errand to say the least. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm with you. I, I don't, I wouldn't put too much stock in those stock in that either. I was just curious, like what could be the logic for that? Cause I, I don't, I don't know how you could see the season as anything, but a successful one. It has um, to be record based. Yeah, that's the I only mean, thing I can think of, but again, that doesn't necessarily yeah, make you, sense. No, it's people, like you said, it's people only looking at the, at the numbers instead of the fact that, Jaron and Brandon Clark were out for a couple of games in February that, you know, they could have probably beaten, maybe they could have beaten the Kings one of those games or the second game they played before the Lakers game. I don't know, but there's a whole lot that goes at stake here. I think if you've watched this season closely, yes, it's, it's a success. And I, you reminded me of something else too. Like you mentioned how Lakers fans are ridiculously delusional to think they're going to get every free agent. I can tell you being from LA, I've been ashamed of some of them because honestly, I was raised in a sense of very calm, very measured. This team is going to be pretty good most of the time. But I think what happened is once they had their worst losing stretch in franchise history, people got crazier. And I think people are looking at it like, ah, you know, we just hope and pray that a big free agent comes here. Well, 
That didn't happen for a while until LeBron showed up, and now it happened after they traded the farm for Anthony Davis. So Lakers fans are a very interesting bunch, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> but as far as the Grizzlies, I mean, like, how can you look at – like, you, you made a good point. As much as we can look at everywhere else and say, well, I wish the Grizzlies got a break like Portland or the Spurs or the Suns did, they should have won at least two of those games that they lost. They should have beaten Portland that they closed out, right, that they closed out that fourth quarter. They probably could have beaten the Spurs if they had hit a few shots or DeMar, DeMar DeRozan doesn't have that patented pet pump fake that, that a fool's dealing like he's done for over 10 years. Those two games were winnable games, right? So and, – and the Jazz, we can go ahead and just say that the Jazz, they had those two runs at the end of the second and fourth quarter that took the game away. But the Portland game and the Spurs game, they should have – they could have won. And it goes back to the idea of – their own mistakes got them here as well, too. And I, I kind of wrote that in today's piece. Like, you can look around and say, well, hey, maybe the, the Bucks will rest their starters, which probably is going to happen, regardless of if Giannis gets suspended or not. We can look at it and say, well, if the Spurs and the Suns lose, the Grizzlies have a great chance. But at the same time, the Grizzlies have also gotten themselves in this position with slow starts, horrible three-point shooting, their own mistakes, and now they have to take control of their future on Thursday and win. Doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. They have to win Thursday. If they win Thursday, nothing else matters. If they lose, then you start praying and hoping whatever. But it goes back to, you know, the Grizzlies got themselves in this position, good and bad. Now they have to get themselves to the next step on their own, point blank. You're absolutely right. I, I can't dispute any of that. I do think that it, it's been a bit of a mix, but if Memphis handled their own business, none of what opposing teams have done uh, would be a problem. So that's that's an important point to keep in mind. We're finishing up here with Evan Barnes at Evan underscore B on Twitter. Grizzlies reporter for the Commercial Appeal does great work over there. Make sure you're checking out everything that he does with the Commercial Appeal regarding the Grizzlies as we approach the Milwaukee Bucks game, the final game of the Memphis seeding structure uh, there in the NBA's Orlando bubble. I'll get you out of here on this, Evan. Uh, John Morant has been phenomenal in a lot of these games. I'd say there's been two games that he's really struggled in. Uh, the New Orleans game where he shot five for 21, and then you could probably argue the Toronto game wasn't his best performance either. But for two games like that that were really bad, uh, the San Antonio Spurs, a game that you know maybe you wouldn't have expected him to play as well in because of the way that Murray and White and other Spurs guards can defend. Uh, he had one of his best games in the bubble, nine assists, nine rebounds, almost posted a triple-double, 25 points. Um, and then, of course, his pretty damn impressive performance against Boston uh, without Jaron, without Justice and Tyus, like we've been discussing. He plays 42 minutes, shoots 7 of 13, 26 points, 13 assists, only three turnovers. Uh, John Morant has really – and I think that this will bring us full circle here. My goal entering this season was to see growth and development from Ja and Jaron and to try to figure out who fits alongside them on the current roster long term. I think the question on the latter is still out. Dylan Brooks gets resigned, but he's looked lost in the bubble, extremely inefficient. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting summer on the wings between Dylan and DeAnthony Melton, who may have hurt his value a little bit with the way he's played in Orlando as a restricted free agent. Grayson Allen's resurgence uh, adds questions to that as well. But I do think the biggest takeaway and the thing that I'm most excited about 
is that Memphis does indeed have two cornerstone players. Before Jaron got hurt and Parker Fleming did a great job writing about it uh, for us over at the blog, you know, he was realizing that unicorn potential. He was taking guys off the dribble, shooting the threes, blocking shots. He hit, he displayed leadership qualities in third quarters to help steady the ship. In the absence of veteran leadership, he was a guy who was stepping up and trying to fill that void. And for me against Boston, John Morant did the same thing. Even in the face of insurmountable odds, he went out there and played his ass off to the tune of one of the best performances of this entire bubble experience for him without key players around him helping him get the job done. So for me, the biggest takeaway from the bubble is Memphis does indeed have two future cornerstones. Now they need to figure out who's going to fit alongside them for that next great Grizzlies team down the road. I agree. I agree. And it's going to make for some interesting rotations and <clears throat> roster decisions coming into to next year. Now, granted, most of his team is coming back next year. Um, DeAnthony right. Melton will see kind of what the what the team wants to do. Although they they did tell us like uh, they did tell us after the trade deadline that they do you know would like to bring DeAnthony back. And I think you know again, as much as he struggled, how much of that is him playing out of position? How much of that is without Tyus Jones? You can argue that, <clears throat> but I do think that they're going to give a hard look at DeAnthony to bring him back next year. So it it does go back to okay. Who's who's going to be that third guy? If it's Dylan Brooks, how do you adjust his? How does you adjust work with him to to make him fit that role? If it's Justice Winslow, if he's fully healthy, wait and see what he looks like and go from there. Um, I, I think it it is going to be a case of just kind of like what do they do with you know how do they build around John Jaron? Because right now you have some good pieces that I think can keep this team in the mix for next year. Um, you look at someone like Grayson Allen, who is emerged as this three-point specialist, but we all know he's a scorer. That's what his role was in college. He's not just a shooter. He's a scorer. He can get to the basket. He can, you know, find ways to impact the game a little bit more. So I think having him in the mix is going to make things even more curious about different ways this team can score. But I still think for me, like, the biggest questions I have are, as much as the team wants to let it fly, they do need some more consistent shooting. Um, they're going to need some more mid-range shooters because, as you know, some of these playoff games have shown, if you don't have that mid-range game working and you're just jacking up threes, you'll shoot yourselves out of the game if you don't have that dynamic scorer who can just get this, get his get his shot right away. Um, so I think there's going to be some interesting decisions and in how kind of this roster, you know, looks going forward. But I think the bubble has shown that you have a point guard who I just looked this up. He is second in the bubble in assist. Luka, Luka Doncic is first, but Ja is second in assist. He's had three double-doubles. He's had two 20 and 10 games. I mean, the rookie of the year voting is over, and I think Ja Moran has shown why he's the rookie of the year once again. He's shown it, he showed it before the hiatus. He's shown it now. Jaron, you see him becoming that leader, that vocal presence. Ja is that same way. Um, you see kind of like, you know, Jonas has found a role where if they feed him inside, that's a guy who's going to give you a double-double every time he's in a game just because he has that advantage. So I think there's a lot you can take away from personnel wise that has shown the strengths of this team and the weaknesses. But again, there's more to be positive about. And I think whatever happens goes back to what we said, whatever happens Thursday, there's a lot of good to look forward to. And it's just figuring out the pieces to take this team to that next level. Get you out of here on this. Do the Memphis Grizzlies make the play or the make the play in, excuse me. Yes, I do not think the Bucks will play their starters. I think the league will suspend Giannis Antetokounmpo for the headbutt heard around the NBA last night. The Grizzlies win Thursday. They get in the playing tournament, and then we see what happens.
I agree. I agree completely. Everything right there, 100%. I don't see how they don't suspend Giannis. Even if it's for one game before the playoffs start, it's a meaningless game for the Bucs. Uh, the league can save some face suspending him for that one game. And uh, and like you said, it opens up the door for Bud to help out his, uh, his young mentee, uh, <laughs> Mr. Jenkins, and help them get into the play-in. And like you said, likely against Portland, see what happens from there. Evan, thank you so much for joining me on this week's show. It's appreciated. Joe, thank you so much. Love what you guys do, man. Always great talking with you, and uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. For Evan, I'm Joe. Enjoy the last seeding game. Hopefully enjoy the play-in games. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.